Welcome to Killer Bees. I'm Tori Potenza. I'm Garrett Smith. This is not a Wu-Tang podcast. No, this is a podcast in which we profile B-movie and genre film icons. Yeah, we can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Gmail. And we are on MovieJohn.com, part of their podcast network. Yeah. Um, Our artwork is by Alex Schneider, and our music is by Christine Rayburn and her partner, Pat. Is that all the things? That's all the things. Oh, cool. Great. Now we can start talking about something that we've been meaning to catch our audience up on yes. and have forgotten about entirely. Yeah. It's it's hard doing podcasts and also just talking about movies all the time because I never know what I've said that's been recorded or not. I know. Um, and something that we had mentioned in, um, I think this is from our D. Wallace episode? Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, was that you tracked down a movie, a TV movie that... Uh, Toby Hooper directed. By the way, I keep wanting to call him Tober Hoopy. Uh, I do that in my head all the time. Yeah, which was a joke that we made on accident. Yep. And now that's all I can think of when I yep. think of his name is Tober Hoopy. Um, yeah, uh, it's called I'm Dangerous Tonight. You tracked it down. The only way you can get yeah. this made for TV movie is by buying a Spanish DVD. Yep. Uh, and it stars what's her name? Matt Matchem. I know. I, I fuck her name up every single time. I, that's I the thing so is, bad. I do. This is one where I actually know her name. I just don't know how to say her name. Matchem Amick. Yes. Amick. Uh, Amick from Twin Peaks yep. and Anthony Perkins. Yes. Uh, Andy which, Wallace and yeah. Arlie Emery. There's like a l- yeah. bunch of people in this movie. And the whole plot is that this girl somehow gets a hold of an Aztec robe that she turns into a dress, and every time you put the dress on, it makes you want to like do bad things. Uh, like makes her a bad. Girl. Makes her a bad girl. Yeah, because yeah, she's like this kind of like, you know, uh, nerdy, quiet type. It's it's a weirdly a Cinderella story where she's yeah. like this girl that just like makes clothes and is like, lets like her stepmom or something like, or I That's think it's like her aunt. Yeah, her like right. mom had died and it's like right. uh, her aunt and cousin are like terrible to her. Right. Um, and then she gets this dress and it makes her want to be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like Anthony... Perkins is like a weirdly creepy professor at her college. Yes, I think, right? that is also trying to track down the Aztec road. Right. Um. Yeah. It's all very strange. Uh. Yes. And not like super great, but one. It's directed by Toby Hooper, so we yeah. needed to find it. And I love Anthony Perkins. Yeah. But then also we've started becoming a little obsessed with these made-for-TV like horror movies. Yeah. Because uh, we've found some great ones. And we like Twin Peaks and this actress love, a lot. Yeah. D. Wallace is in this movie, yep. and it's pretty fun in this movie. Yeah. I, my, to my memory, she doesn't have a ton to do in no, this movie. No, not really. But, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. This was like not a great movie, but worth tracking down and watching. Yes. There's just a lot of weird, fun... I don't know. I it, I feel like this serves mostly a niche purpose yeah. uh, in a, in someone's DVD collection. But, but we uh, had to own know. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it, and buying the DVD was literally the only way we could find it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Yes. Uh, so I don't know. I liked watching this movie. Yeah. I would don't, watch again. Yeah. It's, uh, I would say, maybe the least of the Toby Hooper things that I have seen. You know, I don't yeah. think, I think pretty much every other Toby Hooper thing I've seen I've liked more, even mm-hmm. Life Force. Oh um, man, yeah, what a movie! Yeah, that's him, right? I think that is me. Yeah, we I'm, just talked about that too. But, I know. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's him. I'm gonna confirm that while we continue to talk here. Yeah, it's him. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, okay. What what else have we been watching here? So, I just wanted to catch the audience up on. Yeah, that. so there's two from like a while ago we watched that I don't think we talked about on the podcast, and we should. One of which was Robot Jocks, which yeah. uh, I think you loved more than I did. For but sure. it is admirably fucking crazy. Yeah, uh, this is a Stuart Gordon movie yes. uh, from 1989. And uh, I don't know, maybe most comparable to something like Pacific Rim or, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a, it's a kind of an American made like mech warrior movie, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. To me, this feels like something that's rooted more in like Japanese culture and pop culture. And it's a very American version of that. And I yeah, found Yeah, America that, versus the USSR. Yeah, like, it's, it's like a Cold War movie kind yeah. of. Um, yeah, I, re- I, this was not great, but the production is insane. It's tons of great like miniature and model yeah. work and uh, stop motion mm-hmm. for all these like robot battles and stuff. Yeah. It's a nonsense movie. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Combs is in it for two seconds, which yeah, is really unfortunate. Literally plays like a man in a crowd. Yeah. I think almost so that Stuart Gordon can be like, look, also my guy is in this. Yeah. You know? It's uh, it, yeah. It's not my favorite Stuart Gordon no. movie, but I think if you like uh, a certain kind of practical effects work and sci-fi, like I do, it's yeah. worth watching for sure. Yeah, there's definitely some stuff to enjoy about it. Yeah. And then the other one I wanted to talk about, which we watched around this time too, was I don't believe we talked about Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Ah, Butcher which, Baker Nightmare Maker, indeed. So this is a movie that was on the video nasties list in the UK, and so I've been trying to slowly watch a lot of those so they were movies that were banned for being like too explicit and stuff things like um uh, what was on the list uh, i think last house on the left and um i want to say one of the evil dead movies was on that list i right? believe that's correct oh, fuck what else we wa- the hills have eyes mm, was yeah, yeah. was also on that list so mm-hmm. movies like that um so some of them like are ones that are totally wild and i had never heard of before including butcher baker nightmare maker which is on Shutter at yeah. least of right now, yes. And it was about like this aunt that's obsessed with her teenage nephew that she is like living with because his parents tragically died. This middle-aged lady is horny for her. Yeah, nephew. she wants to fuck her nephew so bad, yeah. and the woman that stars in it, first off, is incredible. Okay, this her name is Susan Terrell. Yeah. Uh, she's been in a bunch of stuff. She's yeah. in Crybaby. Uh, she's in Powder. Uh, she, she's in lots. She has a very like deep filmography. She's maybe somebody I would be interested yeah. in looking more into. But good gravy, is she great in this movie? Yeah, she's really crazy. I, I'm going to write about this movie for uh, Movie John at some point because yeah. I'll have a new column that I'm starting soon. Yeah. And I'm really excited to talk about it because one of the things I look at when I look at these movies is like, well, how is like the female like killer like treated? And to the audience, she's fucking crazy. She's yeah. batshit crazy. But everyone else around her doesn't seem to get how crazy she actually is, yeah. which is really funny to me because she's like always at like a 10 yeah, yeah, yeah. in this movie. She, I mean, it's like, to me, this is one of those things where it's like a high camp performance, yeah. like pretty much from start to finish, yeah. but is, is so good and like artfully done. Like yeah. she, Straight up becomes like a movie monster yeah. by the end of the movie. Just through like, but there's no makeup. Posture yeah, it's all and, posture yeah. and, and her voice, her haircut. And, yeah, like man, yeah. she is so tremendous. In the, and this is the kind of movie where like, it's a weird movie. I think it. Ta- I mean, 
by the way, there's like you have to put a huge content warning on this movie because there are a ton of homophobic slurs thrown throughout this movie. Yeah, there's like a very racist cop in this movie, and he has this whole thing about gay people, and it's pretty terrible. And I think we're supposed to think he's pretty terrible. He's definitely supposed to be a bad. Yeah, person. he's he is a bad person. I don't think the movie has a bad perspective on this, but yeah, you still are. It's hearing, hard. Yeah, you're hearing like a lot of language, like pretty yeah. hard language throughout the movie, yeah. but. It, it is, like, so entertaining in a way that I can't really describe other than it's yeah. just, like, one of those movies where, like, every eight minutes, it gets way crazier than you thought yeah. it could be. And it literally just keeps doing that yeah. the further you get into the movie. Yeah. It's it, batshit crazy. It, like, there's some really, like, graphic, weird shit that, like horror fans will love yes and it's also directed by the main creative on i love lucy and like <laughs> other sitcoms which fucking blows my mind yeah william asher is this yes. guy's name yeah and best yeah. known for i am i love lucy and i think there's another pretty prevalent one he worked on too but... yeah like his movie he only has a few actual movie yeah. credits and their movies like bikini beach and yep. beach party and muscle beach party and then, yeah. uh, of course, there's also a very young uh, Bill Paxton in this movie, which is really worth checking out. Oh, yeah. I yeah. actually forgot about that. Like, a really young Bill a Paxton very young, Yeah, movie. like, this yeah. might be one of his first roles. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, definitely suggest checking yeah. this movie I, out. I loved this movie. I thought this movie yeah. was, like, super entertaining. I really love this movie. And it's on Shutter right now if people want to check it yeah. out. Also, I don't know what the title means. Yeah, I, it probably does have like other titles too. Like a lot of those movies, it does. In the 80s. One of them is like it, like Night Warning or something like that. Also, not a good title for this yeah, movie. Yeah, that makes even less sense yeah. somehow than Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Yeah, uh, but I love saying it. Yeah. Um. Cool. Were there any other ones? I think there are a few that I'll probably save for part two. Of yeah, our yeah. Episode. No, I think this is a good start for the episode. Cool. Can... Uh. So today we uh, are going to be talking about someone who we are kind of both like maybe this was like not the right choice for this really because he's actually in a ton of like really uh highly regarded films i was gonna say he it's not that he doesn't have b-movie credits yeah. in his uh filmography but i don't think he's i don't think today's audience thinks of this name as like a b-movie so. star which we kind of realized as we were watching yeah. more of these movies which is kind of interesting in itself like just kind of that realization yeah um but i know him from one of my favorite b-movies which we'll talk about um but we are talking about harry dean stanton today yes. um he has 206 imdb like credits uh for acting roles um so we're gonna split this one in two so we're gonna go from um his early life till 1985 uh, for this episode, I'm excited. Yeah, um, I got to watch a bunch of like older movies uh, yeah. because most of my Harry Dean knowledge prior to this was, I think, '85 yeah. and onward. So it was yeah. kind of fun to dig into some, which stuff was great this. for us too, because I realized there are movies that you could watch on your own because I was not interested in watching them at all. I, so. I will definitely have a better time watching a western than you will. So yes, I was able absolutely. to cover some uh, early ground here that I think you were less interested in. Yeah, yeah. which is lovely. Uh, um, so Harry Dean Stanton was born July 14th, 1926, in West Irvine, Connecticut, Kentucky. Yes, Kentucky. Oh, did I? Oh, I said Connecticut. You did say Connecticut. Oh my God. You were definitely looking at the word Kentucky and thought you said the word and Kentucky. And I just said another C state. But you definitely state. said Connecticut. <laughs> By the way, Kentucky, not a C state. No, not, not a C state. <laughs> 
But like a custate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A custate. A custate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my brain is broken. Um, so he was born to Ursula uh, Moberly, a cook, and Sher- Sherry Dan Harry Stanton, uh, a barber and tobacco farmer. Oh, Sheridan. Sheridan. Sheridan Harry Stanton. I'm sorry. Oh, I like that. No, it's okay. And also, this helps me a little bit because, well, maybe you have this in your notes. We'll, we'll talk. But yeah, okay. Um, he graduated from Lafayette Senior High School with the class of 1944 and was drafted into the Navy, so he served as a cook in the U.S. Navy during World War II and was on board the LST during the Battle of Okinawa, which is wild. I did not know that. Okay, wow. Lots of this is playing into some other Harry Dean stuff that we'll get into as we talk more. Absolutely. Although that'll be in the next episode, too, because we watched... He In Lucky, he's a Navy vet. I know. He's like, okay, all right. Yeah, it's wild. All right. Um, he's essentially playing himself yeah, in that okay. movie. Yes, all right. Uh, so he returned to the University of Kentucky to appear in a production of uh, Pygmalion. Mm-hmm. Pygmalion? Pygmalion? Pygmalion, yeah. Uh, before heading out to California and honing his craft at the uh, Pasadena Playhouse. Okay. Um, he toured the United States with a male choir. Uh, he has quite the the singing chops as well. He does. Um, worked at a children's theater and then went back to California. Okay, so he, like, even though he served, and I guess he was drafted. All right. So he, like, he was drafted, served, and then came back and and started doing, like, artistic work. Yeah. Okay. Um, So one thing that I thought was interesting, because it's kind of similar to someone else we talked about when we talked about... um, uh, We just did this. David Patrick Kelly? David Patrick Kelly, yeah. So... um, he kind of has like a mixture of like worldviews and religious and philosophical kind of ideas, really influenced by uh, Buddhists and uh, kind of shaped by, you know, the beat poets uh, at the time, um, which is interesting. I wrote in my freshman year of college, wrote a piece on uh, American Buddhism, uh, mm. like Buddhism that like the kind of beatniks used and how that differed from like, uh, you know, Actual Buddhism. Eastern, Eastern uh, Buddhism, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I, I do think it's interesting that this was influential on a lot of people, yeah. including actors. And uh, he, Alan Watts's name is written here, too, which I also think I remember being in David Patrick Kelly's notes, yeah. too. They, it seems like they're they're similar, cut from a similar cloth. Um, you know, one thing I had here was uh, he was never married. Uh, he says it's possible he could have had kids out there somewhere, but uh, he dated the actress uh, Rebecca De Mornay for a really long time, and eventually mm-hmm. she left him for Tom Cruise. Mm. Um, and Wonder s- how she feels about that choice in retrospect. I know. Well, I say that without judgment. I just it would be curious. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it seems like she kind of had a hold on him and his heart for for most of his life. Oh. After that. Oh, poor, um, poor Harry Dean. Yeah, someone asked him about, like, uh, a quote, like, about, like, you know, his love life and stuff and, like, re- like how he feels about how things have ended now. And he said, regret is another form of suffering, which I'm not into. It's pointless. If I did regret, I'd have a lot of regrets. But ultimately, you have to accept what you do and what happens. We're all hardwired genetically from when we're born. We react in a certain way, and we have nothing to do with it. Ultimately, we're not in charge of our lives. Oh, boy. He seems to he's carrying something because that is yeah. It's like absolving yourself of any responsibility. That's a I know. that is an interesting uh interesting outlook. Yes, I agree. Um yeah. his first uh he landed his first job uh after answering a singer's wanted advert in a local paper and he toured for a while with the choral group, uh which I think it's funny that that's how he got into it. Um, kind of makes sense. Yeah. 
He said, 24 guys on a bus playing small towns. When I quit, there were only 12 guys left. The rest deserted along the way. We sang on street corners and department stores and at the end of the week in local venues. Uh, it's called Paying Your Dues. So that's how we, he gets his start. It's funny. You know, this makes sense to me because of uh, some of the uh, musical career stuff where he's like, yeah. uh, I, I, I mean, in we just watched a clip from Cool Hand Luke because I couldn't remember what he did in that. And he's like singing in that and he's singing like yeah. an old hymn. And I was like, how does Harry Dean Stanton know an old hymn? Yeah. And uh, now, now I understand. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, then we get to uh, his his acting career. So he started uh, working on TV and films in the 1950s. Um, his first role was in 1954 on a TV show called Inner Sanctum, which was like a hosted horror and mystery anthology series I had never actually heard of. So I just became aware of this recently because I think there's like some new like Blu-ray set out that is like a collection, but I believe this started as maybe like a radio series. Oh, cool. And I feel like maybe that's what the Blu-ray was. It was like recordings okay. or so. I don't know. But yes, hmm. I'm very curious about this because I'm now to understand that I think this is one of the kind of like progenitors of the, you know, the horror yeah. host show, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, his career at this time was mostly TV and uncredited film roles. Um, in 1956, he has an uncredited role in The Wrong Man as a prison guard. Uh, same year, he plays Private Miller in a film called Tom Tomahawk Trail. Tomahawk, Tomahawk Trail. Trail. I can't like say words today I it's don't okay. know what's happening uh and then in 1958 he has an uncredited role in a walter maddow film a uh, voice in the mirror okay yeah i mean the it's interesting to me that as we're digging through here i mean a lot of this truly is like uncredited he's got like almost like a decade of work that it's like yeah. he appears in uncredited it's interesting actually yeah he uh, it was in a film called The Proud Rebel, which is about a Confederate veteran uh, living in the Yankee North and struggling uh, with the <laughs> Northerners, uh, which I just had a note like, is this like a weird Confederate sympathizer film? Yeah, I mean, the it's, that's definitely a thing that exists, so it could be. Yeah, like would not be surprised. Not a rabbit hole I necessarily want to go down. Yeah. Um, and then he was in a film in 1959 called A Dog's Best Friend about a young orphan who uh, turns to a German shepherd for friendship. Interesting. Is this like one of those old Disney movies? It very well could be. It sounds like it. Yeah. I forget how you can like find that detail out. Uh, production, Premium Pictures Inc. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Um. So then we get to his career in the 60s. Um, he did TV like uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Untouchables. He was in several episodes of The Lawless Years, Bonanza, The Andy Griffith Show. He was a regular on Gunsmoke, and he was also on Adam 12, which is a show I used to watch when I did not have cable and I was unemployed. What is Adam 12? It's just like a police procedural kind of show okay yeah uh but for some reason it was just always on in the middle of the day and i was watching that or like uh mikhail's navy D yeah mikhail's navy. <laughs> i do remember when that was on all the yep. time what do, what do you know what the title adam 12 refers to uh i think it's like a like a not a department but like a sect like of a precinct? like a yeah like a precinct okay. yeah um, in, uh, 1960, he plays the, a slave catcher in the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which I feel like I've seen this version in school, say, like when I was young. I, this feels like something that maybe did actually play like on the Disney channel when yeah. I was growing up and I may have seen. And so maybe I've seen a young Harry Dean Stanton in this movie. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure. Um, he is then, in 1962, he's in a film called Heroes Island. 
which I think is one of the first films that he did with Warren Oates, um, who yes. he eventually becomes very good friends with. Uh, it, the film's about a small island off the coast of Carolina where recently freed men uh, settle as their like homestead. Um, so yeah, that started a friendship with uh him and Warren Oates where they were both kind of competing for the same sort of roles uh, and it seems like Warren Oates kind of won out often and Harry Dean got like lesser roles yeah. but they were friends for years uh, he went to Warren Oates's funeral when he passed away uh, there was an article I found called The Friendship of Harry Dean and Warren Oates that's like really beautiful um, so definitely check that out if that's uh, a thing you're interested in yeah I mean as we keep going here I ended up watching like two or three titles that they were in together and um i uh, they often play characters that like are friends or Mm -hmm. competitors or you know and so it's like it's kind of fun they have like an on-screen relationship that carried over into their lives which is pretty cool and sweet that's cute um he had an uncredited role in how the west was won fun fact the only version of this movie i have seen is how the west was fun with mary kate and ashley olsen Oh, man, that's really funny, actually. Um, And then in 1966, he was in a film called Ride in the Whirlwind that uh, was written by Jack Nicholson, which I'm going to let you talk about because you watched this. But um, apparently he he worked with Jack Nicholson a lot, Mm -hmm. um, and they used to live together uh, back in the 60s. They shared a house, uh, and it said that they partied hard with David Crosby, Mama Cass, Elliot, and uh, Laurel Canyon. Uh, He goes... Oh, it says in the burgeoning Laurel Canyon rock aristocracy. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Laurel Canyon's a, a place out in California yeah. where there was like a big burgeoning music scene. Um, he said, Jack and I have known each other for years uh, before either of us even became prominent. He wrote the script, starred and produced it. Um, he wrote one of the principal roles for me, Blind Riley, a stage <laughs> robber. And he told me he didn't want me to act in it. He said, just be yourself and let the wardrobe do it. And that's what I've been trying to do ever since. <laughs> that is, I mean, this is an amazing quote. I watched this movie. This is, I think, a Monty Hellman movie, which we also just watched another one of uh, a few minutes ago. But um, yeah, I didn't like this movie that much. I was sort of like hoping to like it a little more. Um, It's kind of sleepy. It's a little boring, I got to say. Yeah, Monty Hellman did direct this one. His thing, um, I'm not too familiar with Hellman, but he, uh, I believe, is like one of the new wave direct, like Hollywood new wave directors and like... Tulane Blacktop is like kind of a famous car mm. movie that he made. Um, but he, uh, of what I've seen of his, they're all like maybe a little bit slow and mm-hmm. sleepy and just kind of like character study drama type movies. Uh, and Which is the same for a ride in the whirlwind. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, but it, it's not bad. It just, I was, I don't know. I, I've definitely seen more compelling Westerns than this movie. Yeah. But Harry Dean uh, wears an eye patch throughout the movie and looks awesome in an eye patch, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, it's another one where this seems to happen to him often. He's not in the movie as long as you'd want him to be. His mm-hmm. character gets uh, unceremoniously taken out about halfway through the movie. Lame. Um, but, uh, you know, N- young Nicholson is a treat. Like, he- he's actually, mm-hmm. like, it's interesting watching him young because he kind of lacks some of the, like, just full confidence that he brings mm-hmm. to roles later in his career. And it's kind of interesting to see. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wasn't, like, crazy about this movie, but I liked this movie. But the thing that is very interesting about that quote of his is that, like, as we watched a bunch of these Harry Dean movies, it is interesting watching him act. Because mm-hmm. the thing that I feel like I notice is that he really is, like, not. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it even looks like sometimes he's literally trying to remember his lines as he's saying them. Oh, that's interesting. Like, he's putting so little effort into trying to be a character that he's almost like, he's so in the moment, he's not even really remembering why he's there yeah. or what he's doing. He's like, I am acting, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, it does make him an interesting, compelling screen presence, even though it's a little, uh, an odd choice. Yeah. Um, so then after Ride in the Whirlwind, he does a Western called A Time for Killing in 1967, uh, which had a young Harrison Ford and Dick Miller in it. I'll probably watch this movie at some point because that's three people I would like to see in a movie together. Um, he also had a small bit in Cool Hand Luke, which we just watched uh, a little clip of in which uh, he's singing this hymn in the background. And he has such a beautiful kind of haunting voice, which I think works for Cool Hand Luke as like a movie because that is kind of like a it's a great movie. But man, it's like sad <laughs> for yeah. the most part. I mean, I, I haven't seen Cool Hand Luke in maybe like 20 years. Yeah. It's something I would really like to revisit because I remember loving it at the time. But yeah, I mean. The song he sings is beautiful. He's got like a natural warble in his voice that's really, really yeah. nice. It, yeah. Um, after that, in 1968, he was in another Western called Day of the Evil Gun. Uh, Great in which movie title. About a woman and her children who are kidnapped by Apaches. Uh, so, you know, an unfortunate portrayal of Native Americans, I'm sure. Right. Uh, and then uh, he plays Spook in a movie called The Miniskirt Mob. Uh, the IMDb is driven by jealousy. The jilted leader of a female motorcycle gang instigates a sadistic reign of terror against her ex-lover and his new bride uh-huh. gotta watch that movie sounds pretty good i like the movie title These i know are, that's a couple of back-to-back smashing movie titles yeah for Day sure of the evil gun the miniskirt mob um and then once we get to the 70s um for tv he was in the godfather saga uh which played on tv um it's the uh first Godfather part one and two kind of combined together. So he got like a TV credit for that uh, because he plays like an FBI agent in the Godfather two. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But so he is in the Godfather part two. Yes. He is in the Godfather huh. part two and he's just listed as like FBI agent. Interesting. Um. So yeah, it's like, you know, again, he's working with like, you know, pretty distinguished like directors. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember him either, but the Godfather like saga has so many big characters yeah. that like, I'm not surprised that I don't think about him when I think of the Godfather. Right. Um, in 1970, he was in a film called Kelly's Heroes with Clint Eastwood and Donald Sutherland. Yeah, I feel like this is a pretty big uh, big thing. I don't know why, but I know about Kelly's Heroes. I just don't know why. Um, yeah, me neither. Uh, in 1970, he was in a film called The Ribble Rouser, which is a small coastal town uh, in which a biker gang arrives and wreaks some havoc, uh, which sounds pretty interesting. Um, he was in a TV Western called The Intruders. Oh, and then you had mentioned this, Garrett. In 1971, uh, he was in Two Lane Blacktop, uh, which is a film about drag racing that mm-hmm. starred Warren Oates and James Taylor. Oh, I didn't know James Taylor was in the movie. I've been dying to see this movie because I really like car movies. That's like something I've gotten into yeah. um, in recent years. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm looking more forward to it now that I've seen a couple Monty Hellmans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know that I'm... Yeah, I don't know. Well, we we will be... Wait, am I even right about that? Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that's not a Hellman movie. Oh, no, it is. Yeah, Yeah. that's him. 
Um, and then in 1971, he was in a film called Cisco Pike, uh, which starred Chris Christopherson, Karen Black, and Gene Hackman. Uh, it's about a former drug dealer who tries to corrupt the LAPD in order to sell a bunch of drugs uh, in a weekend. Sounds awesome, actually. <laughs> Sounds great. And I... it's got a great cast. Um, it's directed by Bill Norton, who uh, later directed episodes of both Buffy and Angel, which I think is hilarious. I like Buffy. I know, me too. Uh, but yeah, Cisco Pike sounds great. I would love to check that out. Um, he then is in a film called Cry For Me Billy, which is about a white man falling in love with a Native American girl. I'm um, sure that's, there's some also problematic portrayals there. Who knows? Maybe it's brilliant. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, in 73, uh, he stars uh, in... Um, oh, wait. I don't know. That note seems weird. If I, maybe I just forgot to actually put the title of the movie in there. No, I think what you uh, are indicating is that it is the 1973 version of Pat Garrett and Billy the uh, Kid. Ah, there we go. Uh, which are two like kind of classic Western characters. Got it. Which is another film that stars Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then another film that you watched yeah. uh, was Dillinger, which is directed by John uh, Milas, who wrote uh, on Conan the Barbarian and Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Milius is kind of a famous like Hollywood icon. He's like sort of a famous Hollywood madman, as I understand it. Yeah. Um, he also directed that Conan the Barbarian movie, I believe. I think. Um, and uh, boy, when we saw uh, Conan... Yeah, he did. He also directed Red Dawn. Um, mm. So he's like... he. he when we saw Conan the Barbarian, I was like blown away by that movie. I like couldn't believe mm. how good that movie it's was. Wild. I thought it was just going to be like a cheesy, like kind of, I don't know. I don't know what I thought it was going to be. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. Mm. And then Dillinger is a character that like I don't really care that much about. Like I don't know Dillin. I feel like Dillinger is like there's like a weird kind yeah. of cult around Dillinger that I don't know that I am interested yeah, in. Yeah, I just don't think, like, like people love, like, you know, mobsters and like bank robbers. Yeah, yeah, like, I, you know, worked at a historic prison uh, at one point in my life that right. uh, had Al Capone's cell in right, it, and right. people, like, fucking lost their goddamn minds over it, and I just have never gotten why yeah. people love those characters in history so much. Yeah, so uh, I ended up loving this movie. Yeah. Dillinger is really great. Warren Oates is fantastic as Dillinger in this movie. Mm-hmm. It is very much contributing to the mythology of the American gangster. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, the movie really is more just about like, America is literally a land of cops and robbers, mm. and there is no difference between the cops and the robbers other than a badge. And and the movie and, and there's tons of movies about that, but this movie very specifically felt to me about like America is also a class structure, mm-hmm. and so all the badge represents is that you are in the part of the class structure that allows you to legally be a robber. Mm. Everybody else has to be a robber because they literally can't live or function yeah. in society without robbing. Mm. But our society is set up to punish them for it. It's, it is a very is interesting. interesting kind of like, yeah. and so the character of Dillinger in the movie is like, what if I just like made robbing like cool in the sense of like proved to the people of America that like you are not bad for having been a robber mm. because you need to rob to live. Like it, it's yeah. kind of an interesting like Robin Hood romantic notion uh-huh. of gangsters. Okay. And I liked the movie, the movie presenting it that way was very interesting and mm-hmm. entertaining. 
I don't know that I necessarily, you know what I mean? Like, I might have my own complicated feelings about all that, but I loved the movie's presentation of this stuff. Yeah. And America as, like, a mythology of cops and robbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I was really into this movie. I thought this movie was great. Harry Dean plays, like, a, like, one of the sort of other gangsters that's, like, part of Dillinger's gang. And he's, like, kind of the, like, like maybe, like, the dumb guy in the gang, mm. like, a little bit. And all the rest of the gang, like, kind of poke fun at him a little. It's a very fun character. He's not in it a ton, but he's always throughout the movie, mm-hmm. you know? You get to see him, uh, you know, the, I don't know how to describe this other than those, like, those cars that are in all gangster movies that kind yes. of allow you to, like, hang on the side of the car with a Tommy gun, like, as you drive past, like, mm-hmm. the bank. You get to watch Harry Dean do a lot of, like, hanging off the side of a car, shooting a machine gun. <laughs> and I fun. was like, this is fucking cool. I love this. Were they Tommy guns or yes, whatever? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, Very much like Dillinger. This was like a big kind of find for me over the course of oh, this. Oh, cool. Uh, and then in 1974, he was in a film called Zandy's Bride, which starred uh, Gene Hackman. And it also has Susan Terrell in it, who we just talked about uh, from watch. Butcher Baker. Uh, but it's about an American settler who marries a mail order bride and they try to live in the wilderness together. Okay, I'm a little less interested because that plot description is not. Terribly enticing no. to me, but I want to see those people. Uh, and then in nine, the same year, in 1974, he was in a film called Cockfighter, which we just watched. Yeah, we woke up at 9 a.m. and we're like, let's watch Cockfighter. Which, um, man, there is a lot, like, you know, uh, trigger warning, there is a lot of violence towards uh, chickens There's in like, this movie. As far as I can tell, a lot of actual animal cruelty in this movie. Yeah, I, like, really want to believe watch. that they did stuff to, like, just make it look like they were hurting animals, but they... They did like so many close-ups yeah. of the chickens yeah. getting at each other, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, there's no way they could fake this. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty it's horrifying looking, pretty concerning." Uh, yeah. That aside, <laughs> that aside. Uh, pretty entertaining movie. Yeah, this is another film with uh, Harry Dean Stanton and Warren Oates working together. Warren Oates is directed the, by Monty Hellman again. Dir- yeah, directed by Monty Hellman. Uh, Warren Oates plays the main character who has decided that he will not talk until he wins the Cockfighter of the Year award, which is apparently presented by a senator. Yeah. So like. It's this is such an interesting film and like I mentioned that this reminded me a little bit of Night Riders just in yeah. the sense that like at this time like filmmakers did have these interesting stories about these like I guess we can call them counterculture kind Very of groups just like niche yeah. kind of segments of American yeah. life and yeah. these people in these little like you know subsects of humanity become like heroes like in we see like Warren Oates' character signing autographs like for kids and them taking pictures with him um so it's clear that like just because he has a chicken that can fight good he is a hero (laughs) to people in this community uh, uh, maybe I'm giving this movie too much credit I don't know a lot about like Monty Hellman and, and his movies and stuff but um it did feel a little to me like this movie seemed aware that, like, look, what this movie is about is, like, uh, these tiny communities that get created mm-hmm. in order to give powerless people power, basically. Yeah. Like, these men feel like they have power within this community, yeah. even though literally I think they're betting, like, $50. Like, the, any of them may yeah. have $50 to their name at any given mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and, like, $1,000 like, a big bet. You're like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, so it's like, you know... Uh, 
and literally they're called cockfighters. They're constantly talking about cocks throughout yeah. the movie. At one point, somebody says something about the mystical nature of the yeah. the spiritual cock or something. Yeah, and someone says something like, oh, my cock got tired or my cock yeah. got bored. Like something, call, you're like, what? At some point, one guy's trying to sell another guy a chicken and he calls it like an ace's cock, right? Doesn't yep. he say, right? Like, it they just, love saying cock. Yeah, it's like yeah. it just feels like the movie's pretty aware that this is like yeah. a sort of false masculinity that is built around, yeah. you know. Be- I did think that was like one of the more interesting aspects yeah, of right. it was how masculinity was portrayed because like our protagonist, uh, played by Warren Oates, yeah. I don't think we're supposed to think is a great guy necessarily. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he does really like not great things to get money yeah. that affects the people he loves. Yeah. There's a woman that loves him that he has kind of on the line uh, waiting for him uh, and in the hopes that like she'll reconsider wanting to settle down and have kids and like yeah. be a wife while he does cockfighting yeah. across the United States, um, which ends up being like a really interesting point of the story that I, I like. The, the movie's ending is actually yeah. weirdly fulfilling for a movie of this I kind, agree. in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, this is straight up like an exploitation movie. Yeah. I think that Exhumed has screened this movie before. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I thought the ending was like pretty compelling and Me fulfilling. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked Cockfight. I mean, literally huge content trigger warning in this movie because there huge. is like, it, there's tons of animal cruelty throughout it. But yeah, I, I, I did actually kind of, uh, you know, like this movie. Yeah, I did too. I, I was like glad that we ended up watching this one. Harry Dean plays a sort of rival cockfighter yep. who seems to be like one of the only guys in the industry that has any kind of money just based on the way he dresses and stuff. Oh man, so when he like shows up, he's wearing a white suit with this pastel striped shirt that <laughs> It's like pastel blue and pink. And he's got this big belt buckle that has like yeah. a, a piece of turquoise in the middle. Right. And so like they they really show off his clothing. And then after he gets married, we also see that she gets all these like mm-hmm. nice crazy outfits too. So like he always stands out in the crowd, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked this movie. I was glad that we we watched this. This is, I mean, I was kind of blown away. Like, this is just on Amazon Prime. Yeah. You can just watch these fucking chickens bite each other's heads off oh, man. on Amazon Prime. I mean, there's so want. much crazy shit on yeah. Amazon Prime if you go looking for it. Um, in 1975, he was in Rafferty and the Gold Dust Twins, uh, which saw starred Alan Arkin. Uh, Love was, Alan Arkin. Uh, I know, me too. Um, it's a comedy drama about two women that kidnap uh Alan Arkin on their way to New Orleans. That uh, sounds great. Which is interesting. What a great plot. I know. I was like, okay, sure. Why wouldn't you want to kidnap Alan Arkin? Yeah. Um, he is in a film called uh, Rancho Deluxe that starred Jeff Bridges and Sam Waterston, which I'm like, hell yeah, what a I know, great I know. I kind of want to track it down just for them. Yeah. Um, two drifters of widely varying backgrounds, Russell Cattle, and a try to try to avoid being caught in contemporary Montana. This is like I was talking to my dad about westerns the other day because I know that he loves westerns. And so I end up watching these like really fucking cool movies, like really cool spaghetti westerns. And I'm like, oh, dad, I finally saw this western that I thought was cool. And he's always like, I've never heard of it. I, I like when they ranch cows. Like, he, I for some yeah. reason, my dad's into like just like herding cattle. That's like his idea of a cowboy movie. But that sounds like your dad. Yeah. Like your dad retired and then was like, yeah. I'm going to go like help horses. Yeah, he works on like a horse farm. Yeah. Now. yeah. <laughs> it's like, but it's just funny to me that he like, I grew up knowing that my dad likes Westerns. I finally get into Westerns and he's like, my speed is more like when they herd cattle. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is a movie my dad would probably like. Oh man, that's really funny. Yeah. Um, 
He then does a TV movie called The Legendary Curse of the Hope Diamond uh, with Samantha Eggers, who I love. Uh, and then has an uncredited role in a film called The Fortune, which stars Jack Nicholson and Stalker Channing. Yeah, uh, uh, directed by Mike Nichols, yep. uh, director The Graduate. Uh, I This is one I'm trying to track down as well, because I would like to see this one. Yeah. Um, he is then in a film called Farewell, My Lovely, which is another film. We've talked about this a lot. There are a lot of films that are uh, that star, the starring person plays Philip Marlowe, yes. who is a character from uh, Raymond Chandler's novels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time it's a different person playing, uh, Ray, not Raymond Chandler, uh, playing Philip Marlowe. Yeah, because uh, we watched uh, The Long Goodbye, uh, yes. which stars... Um, uh, Ellie Gould yes. as this character. And then I have seen, it might be Lady in the Lake. I forget which one it is, but it is, um, oh man, I, Casablanca. Oh, um, uh, God, I can picture his face, and now I can't think I know, of his name I, either. I Humphrey Bogart? Him. Humphrey Bogart, yeah. yes. Humphrey Bogart also plays him. Okay. Um, and then plays also a similar character in the Maltese Falcon. Right, so okay. he played these, like, P.I. tough characters, like, yeah. kind of frequently. Yeah. But, yeah, this one starred uh, Robert Mitchum, who you watched this, and I'm fascinated by Mitchum as this character. I really liked this movie. This is yeah. like a kind of a neo noir. I love the way it looked. There's mm-hmm. lots of great neon signs at night throughout it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got uh, a great like kind of femme fatale performance Ooh, yes. from uh, uh, what is this? Oh, uh, Charlotte Rampling, who looks incredible mm. in this movie. Um, but Mitchum is good as this character, but he's a weird choice. Okay, so Mitchum is a good choice for this character in the sense that this is the kind of detective story that has your classic noir voiceover. Mm. And Mitchum's got that low, slow drawl. Yeah. And so when he narrates his story, it works great. Because that's like, that's what you want out of those like narrate. But like, the... But the character of Philip Marlowe is meant to be this like fast-talking, sarcastic dick, mm-hmm. at least as I understand him, because my only other experience with him is through the Elliot Gould version of yeah. him. Yeah, right? which is interesting, because Gould also gives off a little bit of like a, uh, not like an awkward, like an, a, I'm trying to like figure Neurotic. out what, yeah, it's it's really interesting. So yeah. like it's every every portrayal of Philip Marlowe I've seen is very different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they all work in in one way. Yeah, and I mean, what I could feel is that, like, in the script, this version of Marlowe is still trying, is meant to have these, like, quick, quippy returns. Yeah. And, and Mitchum is good at delivering them, but he delivers them like Mitchum. And yeah. so it's like, you're hearing this wordplay that feels like it should be, like, flying yeah. across the screen, but it's coming out in that low, slow Mitchum. Yeah. Well, because you, know? you expect Philip Marlowe to be like a New Yorker right. and not like a man from the South. Yes, he's, uh, he still yeah. has a bit of that draw, and so it's like it is very interesting though. And also, Mitchum always reads as a much, as just an older man to me, mm. uh, and so it's like there is this odd thing where like at one point Charlotte Rampling's character is kind of like seducing him, mm. and you ju- I just was like, uh, what's happening? These yeah. two are supposed to be like. I don't know. This is weird. Like, it just, like uh, but I liked this movie a lot. I, I thought this movie was really good. This mm. was another like big discovery of this watch. Like, I don't know That's that cool. I would have been interested in this movie otherwise. And yeah. I really liked this movie. Cool. Um, and then he uh, does a film called uh, "The Shade Crime Drama" with Peter Fonda, Warren Oates, and Margot Kidder. Ooh. 
which was the same director director of uh, Rancho Deluxe, which I know we just said we would like to track down. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he does a film called uh, The Missouri Breaks, starring uh, Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson. In 1978, he was in Ronaldo and Clara, uh, which is like a Bob Dylan on tour uh, with the Rolling Thunder rev- uh, yeah. review in 1975. Okay, uh, I looked this movie up because I didn't, when I was... Uh, it's weird. You had yeah. given me all the notes for this, and I was like looking up like, oh, what would I want to watch? And I this was not... I couldn't track this down, yeah. and I would have watched this because if I understand correctly... This is like a concert film. It's like a mm-hmm. Bob Dylan concert film, but like Bob Dylan got money to basically also film like movie scenes mm-hmm. where like actors are playing characters and are performing scenes. Yeah. But then like I think this movie is like an amorphous kind of like not really a movie with characters, but kind of, but more of a concert. Like it just sounds like such a weird, mm-hmm. strange experiment. Full of all these counterculture people that I'm interested in. I yeah. really want to watch it. It sounds weird. Yeah, it does sound weird. Yeah. yeah, that's such a weird... I like couldn't quite figure it out. I'm like, but people are playing characters. Right. But this says it's a concert right. movie. Yeah, so I really weird. want to see because I just want to see what it is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, I'm very curious what actually kind of like got produced out of yeah. whatever it was Dylan was doing with this money. You yeah, know? for sure. Um, in the same year, uh, 1978, he was in a film called Straight Time, which is another one that I was interested in trying to find. Uh, it stars Dustin Hoffman yeah. and Gary Busey. Uh, it's about a man that is released on parole who's a career burglar. Uh, and he, tri- he like eventually just returns to a life of crime and is on the run. I really want to see, I mean, M.M. at Walsh is in this. Kathy Bates is in this. Yeah, like, it's got a, it's got a killer cast for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I would like to track this down. Um, and then he, uh, Harry Dean Stanton was also in the Cheech and Chong movie, uh, Up in Smoke, but his all the scenes were deleted from <laughs> it. So I wonder what that was like. <laughs> that is insane. I would love to see that. Yeah. Um, he was then in a TV movie called Flatbed Annie and Sweet Pie Lady Truckers. So uh, it's a, wow. just a movie about two lady truckers, uh, which sounds funny. That's a TV movie, apparently. This is, we're going to, I feel like you and I are eventually going to start yet another podcast that is just us watching TV oh. movies. I have, like, a list of stuff I either need to start writing about or do a podcast for. Uh, And then in 1979, he was in a film called Wise Blood that stars Brad Dourif uh, and is directed by John Huston. This is a movie that we also watched. Um, And it was interesting because uh, Brad Dourif is also another person who I think would be good for this podcast and is more of a character actor. So it was interesting seeing him in a starring role. He's the lead of this movie, which I don't think I've ever seen. I mean... Other than Chucky, but he's, you know, like yeah. voicing a, a, an animatronic character. Yeah, you really only see him in the first Chucky yeah, movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, very strange. Um, we did not love this movie. It was It's based on a um, Flannery O'Connor story about a man who comes home from the war and uh, decides he wants to be a preacher for the church with no God. Yeah. Uh, And so it's kind of just him going about doing this preacher act, but telling people like that there is no God. And Harry Dean Stanton plays this blind preacher uh, who is, you know, kind of his like rival in this. Brad Dourif wants to prove to him that like, 
all everything he believes is false. Yeah. Um, and so you do get these like it's interesting. I feel like it's more interesting to talk about this movie than it was watching it. This movie felt really long and yeah. kind of boring. Kind of boring. Um, and I think yeah, it just wasn't really our speed. This is like a well liked, well respected movie. Yeah. I had never heard of it before we yeah. watched it, and so I looked it up afterwards because I was like. This was kind of boring, but like people like this movie. It's like a pretty, yeah. Uh, and it's um John Huston made it. Yep. Uh, and you know John Huston, uh, Maltese Falcon, Asphalt Jungle. Like he, you know, this guy is one of yeah. kind of the 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 great directors, I think, or or considered one of the greats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I so you know uh, this is one of those movies that I think maybe I don't have enough experience with mm-hmm. Houston. Maybe yeah. I don't. I'm not sure, but. It didn't really click for me, but the weird thing was, I did feel like it's like you said, it's more interesting to talk about. Like, I felt like I understood, yeah, what this this movie I think is supposed to be kind of a tongue in cheek comedy, well, about yeah. like uh, about religion in America and how in America everything is commerce because it's a capitalist society, yeah. and so religion is actually also commerce and like it, there's lots of stuff that's interesting that's going yeah. on here, and I think it understands that like it's. It's trying to be an absurd comedy, but I never found any of it funny. It yeah. felt like an absurd comedy made by someone with no sense of humor. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's, yeah, like Brad Dourif, like is like this very unlikable character yeah. that just like hates the world. But then because of like this weird stuff he's preaching, attracts all of these misfits right. around him that he wants nothing to do with, but they all like are, oh, this is our guy yeah, yeah. because he's preaching this like really different right. stuff. Um, but then like his backstory is interesting too because you get all of these um he it's obvious that his like father or grandfather was a preacher yeah. and abused Brad Dorf right. as a child he's you definitely s- got some sort of like yeah. religious PTSD yeah. or something and John Houston plays that character yeah, yeah. um so you get all these moments where you're like oh so yeah it is kind of sad because this person was like abused and now they're like kind of taking it out on the world yeah um and he you know eventually does these really horrible things um but then does kind of find this father figure in Harry Dean Stanton's yeah, yeah. character. And so that creates a really tumultuous relationship between the two mm-hmm. of them um, as they are going like toe to toe with each other. Yeah. And I thought Harry Dean was great in this. He, he he's really another character. He like kind of like drops off like yeah. halfway through the movie. He just leaves, yeah. which throws like Brad Dorf's character into just like a state of like, what the fuck? Like I, yeah. who, am, who am I proving myself to if this guy is gone? Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought he was really good in this movie. I, I guess I like when he plays blind characters. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like. Know. I really liked him in this movie. Yeah, Wiseblood was really interesting. He looks awesome with those uh, sunglasses that he wears. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wish I liked this movie more. Yeah. Um, it I was do just kind of sleepy and boring. Yeah. For uh, me. Yeah. Not not totally my thing. And I yeah. was like, Ugh. yeah. We also watched it like in the morning, which maybe this wasn't a movie we should watch. In the maybe, yeah. Maybe this is a poor morning movie yeah. choice. We gotta just watch kaiju movies in the morning. Yes. Um, and then uh, the same year he plays Brett in Alien. Uh, one of my all-time one of the best movies. Um, yeah, I mean Jonesy Cat, the whole Jonesy Cat, him walking around the ship looking for Jonesy. You know, which um also uh, Jafet Koda just died. Uh, like. Two weeks ago, yeah, so it's I interesting know. talking about this movie too, because um, yeah. he's someone who we probably would like to do for the I podcast. I think we've as talked. Well. To, yeah, he's kind of already on our yeah. list. So, um, and it seems like they got along really well together, um, which, which is, is cute, really cool, because like their characters have such great chemistry in the movie, it comes and so through. it's nice that that like shows yeah. up on screen. I, um, 
Yeah, and he like the this is one of my favorite Harry Dean roles because this feels very representative of now having watched a few of these movies, his kind of place and role in Hollywood, mm-hmm. which is like he's just a little bit off to the side. Yeah. He is a very compelling screen presence. But never quite gets to the, I mean, we'll talk about a couple actual lead performances that he gets to. But, like, mostly is, like, this great utility player. That, like, you plug him into these tiny roles, and those tiny roles become these very memorable, significant characters in a movie, you know? Yeah, and Alien's a movie that, you know, although it does have this ensemble cast, really, you're watching it for, like, Sigourney Weaver. Absolutely. And, um... I mean, Tom Skerritt is a legitimate, like, kind of movie star who you don't even really think about being, like, a big... Like, I think of Harry Dean before I think of Tom Skerritt, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, John Hurt, just because he has the iconic scene in the film, obviously. Yeah, Ian Holm, even. Ian Holm, who is really great. But yeah, yeah, like, I mean, because most of the film is just centered around, like, none of these crew members, even if, like, as good of people as they are, like, believe uh, Sigourney Weaver or, like, listen to her when she's telling them, like, this is not a good idea. We shouldn't be doing this shit. Which ultimately... She's right. <laughs> it's great. I, I love that in 2020 or whatever, in, in current times, this movie has become a great example of just like, listen to women, the yes. movie. Yep. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I have a thing, a quote here from Harry Dean Stanton talking about Alien. Um, he said, uh, I wasn't attracted to it at all. It was Ridley's enthusiasm, actually, and his desire for me to be in the film that did it. On my initial meeting with him, I told him I didn't like science fiction. He said he didn't either, but he liked this one. I asked if it was an expensive picture. Picture. That is, uh, did he have enough money to do it? He told me later that's why he hired me. <laughs> I love that idea that he was like, okay, like how much you got? Like, yeah, is yeah. this actually happening? I also, I mean, he, I totally get why Ridley would want him in this movie. I, he reads to me as a great kind of blue collar character actor in yes. some sense. Yeah. Uh, and it is funny. It also makes sense to me that like, Harry Dean asking, like, do you even have enough money to make this big, crazy yeah. movie? It's like, oh, you are the blue-collar guy that I need to be in yeah. this movie. You're concerned yeah. about the just the practicality of getting this production done. He's the dad yeah. of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the last uh, his last like role in the 70s was uh, in 1979. Uh, he was in a film called The Rose, which stars Bette Midler, uh, about like a self-destructive female rock star, uh, which sounds, sounds pretty cool interesting. to me, especially yeah. because, like, this has become a sort of quote unquote type of movie just yeah. in the past couple of years. We've had a bunch of like female musician centric, you know, there's that Vox Lux movie. Yeah. Um, there's that other one that, um, her smell. Yeah. Her smell. Uh, that yes. just came out yep, recently. Yep. Yeah. Like, uh, so I'm interested in seeing this. And then we get to his career in the 80s. Um, so in 1980, he was in a film called Death Watch, which I would really like to watch because yes. it sounds really interesting. Uh, it stars uh, Romy Schneider and Harvey Keitel. Uh, and it's about a future in which uh, most illness is like ex- just extremely rare. People just don't get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Because of that, a woman who actually is terminally ill becomes a celebrity, uh, and people like start recording her for a TV show. Um, so Weird. it sounds very interesting. Oh, yeah, and, Max von Sydow is in this as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's also got a great cast. Um, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, th- I feel I like think this is available too. I think this, it might be on Prime. This floats around in some places, and I would like yeah. to uh, see this one. 
Um, same year, he was in a film called The Black Marble, uh, which is a romantic comedy uh, about that explores the pressures of being police officers. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, he's then in a TV film called The Oldest Living Graduate, uh, about the oldest graduate at a military academy. Okay. Uh, but has a great cast, stars yeah. John Lithgow, Cloris Leachman, and Henry Fonda. Alrighty. Uh, and then he's in a film called Private Benjamin, uh, yeah, which stars Goldie movie. Hawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a famous Goldie Hawn movie. Yeah, which I have never seen. Me neither. Um, and would, would be interested in watching. Yeah, interesting that... Uh, the beginning of his 80s is all like playing these uh like military or police characters apparently yeah um and then in uh the 1981 he was in a film called one from the heart which was a drama romance about a couple in vegas Mm. and then the same year he appears in john carpenter's escape from new york which is interesting because like one of the reasons I wanted to do Harry Steen, Dean Stanton from the podcast was because of this movie, because I think yeah. of him as a carpenter guy, usually. Yeah. Which I think my idea of him has kind of shifted since that, yes. after yeah, yeah. watching some things. But I thought of him as a carpenter guy, and a guy that did like some of these weird genre films, um, because of just the other stuff in the 80s, specifically. And, like, you know, Alien. Um, so, yeah, this one definitely is one that I always think of when I think of him, because it stars... Um, Escape from New York star. He's uh, with Adrian Barbeau in it for a yes. lot of it. Um, yes. And they're helping um, Kurt Russell like while he's trying to escape from yeah, New York with the president. I forgot. I just had to look the movie up to remember because I was trying to remember. I'm like, his character's got his brain. Brain is brain. his character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of those movies that just has, like, a tremendous cast of, like, weirdo actors playing weirdo characters. I know. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, like, really the who's who of, like, Carpenter people, which yeah. I like. Yep. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I love Escape from New York. Um, I am personally a bigger fan of Escape from L.A., yeah. which I know is an insane opinion that no one agrees with, but uh, I like that There's movie There's some good stuff in it, yeah. for sure. Um, but the score for this movie, I think of a lot. Love this score. Yeah. Love this score. Yeah. That's, like, actually my favorite thing about this movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think he and Barbo are uh, Harry Dean and Barbo are really good together. Very fun to watch together. Yeah. Uh, you know, two kind of faves of mine getting to kind of play opposite each yeah. other, and yeah, ton of fun. Yeah, um, and he does some other Carpenter. But one thing I found uh, was in an interview he did with uh, What the Fuck podcast in 2013. He mentioned that he was offered a lead in an unnamed series as a private investigator um, from director John Carpenter, but he turned it down because he didn't want to <laughs> do too much work. I mean. That is exactly what I want to see. This feels like the lost project that I need to find more I information know, about right? is the John Carpenter created private investigator yeah. Harry Dean. Because what would a what would a Carpenter PI TV show look like? I have no idea. I know that's so interesting, and he makes sense to me as a PI. He oh, would be so absolutely. good at that. Uh, and then in um, 1982, he was in a comedy called Young Doctors in Love uh, which, in 19... 19- which sounds like a Lifetime movie. It does, absolutely. Uh, in 1983, he's in a TV film called I Want to Live about a woman facing the death penalty. Oh. Yikes. So she's not excited about the death penalty? No. That's some gathering from that title. And then uh, in 1983, he's in John Carpenter's Christine, which... Uh, as a detective. As a, as a detective, yeah, uh, which... Which, this is a movie that we both kind of thought was, like, a little boring before we watched it, like, in recent years. We just years. assumed that it would be. Yeah. I think you both... I had seen it before. Oh, I hadn't. Okay. I just was like, 
haunted car. Yeah. That, how how good could a haunted yeah. car movie? And be? I had seen it, but I like put it on in the background yeah. and was just like kind of doing other stuff and being like, oh, it's a haunted car movie. Like I don't need to actually yeah. pay attention to this. And then we watched it. I think it was New Year's Eve. We watched it together. Sounds right. And holy shit! First I off, Christine is amazing. Yeah. This is upper tier Carpenter. For I bought sure. a copy of it on VHS because I liked it so much. Yeah, uh, this movie rocks. Um, and yeah, he's the uh, Harry Dean is the lead detective in it who kind of is suspicious of the lead which is played by um i always forget his name uh keith gordon keith gordon yeah yeah. so he's like very suspicious of keith gordon's character i watched the scene of him like kind of interrogating not like interrogating him but he like meets him in the school parking lot and is like hey like what's up buddy and like asking him all these questions uh which is really funny because I, I do kind of like, depending on like who's playing the detective, because I oftentimes like don't like when detectives come into movies like this, because I'm like, oh, I don't want to have them have to deal with legal shit, you know? I just want them to like do the weird, crazy stuff. Um, but Harry Dean is so good at playing this detective that it's like, I don't have any fucking proof like yeah. at all, but I know there's something up with you, dude. Yeah, yeah. And I love that dynamic. Yeah, uh, I am really into his performance in this movie. Like, I feel like this is one of the more quote-unquote performative yeah. Harry Dean performances. For sure. Uh, and he's really good. Like, yeah. he's very fun in this movie. Yeah, I there's like a snarkiness to yeah. his character that he doesn't yeah. always have that I really it, yes, like. Yes, there's very much a cocky kind of, I fucking know it's you, kid, yeah. like, and I'm gonna figure it out. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I really like it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, and then in 1984, he was in the film Repo Man, which huh. is a film that I watched at a very young age because, uh, weirdly enough, like, my mom really likes this movie. Sure. And so that was a movie that I, like, always was like, yeah, Repo Man, of course. I and, saw this yeah. like over a decade ago with a friend of mine who was like, You got to see this movie. And at the time, I just remember being like, Yeah, weird movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember liking it and just being yeah. like, Oh, super weird. Yeah. Uh, watching it for this last week, I loved this yeah. movie. Repo Man's so good. This is like a great counterculture punk rock movie mm-hmm. that I feel like actually kind of gets at some of the actual punk ethos while also being like a little bit incisive about it. Uh, And I don't know. It's like, it's a movie kind of about how like uh, American culture is pointless and drives pointlessness Mm -hmm. and is driven by pointlessness. And uh, I I liked this movie a lot. I actually thought there was a lot of interesting shit going on in this movie. Alex Cox is like a madman that I don't always think is making a lot of sense, but is making a lot of sense to me in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and Harry Dean is great in this movie. Yeah. This idea of a whole culture around Repo Men and... Yeah, it's like he's like in the car with um, Emilio Estevez's yeah. character a lot, just telling him what a Repo Man is or isn't. Yes, the philosophy uh, of being a Repo yeah, Man. Yeah, like he takes it so seriously yeah. in that way. He's like, a Repo Man is always like blank. And yeah. you're like, sure. Like he's yeah. created right. this whole world around it for himself. Yeah. And yeah, he's fucking fantastic in it. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think repo men initially in the movie are supposed to represent something that um, Emilio Estevez is kind of punk character is against. Yeah, they're right? like an extension of the man. Yeah, the of. repo man comes yeah. to collect your shit when you can't pay the man anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then finds out that he can make some money being a repo man. Yeah. So that helps him kind of fight against the man. So then he's got to have this code. Mm-hmm. by which he lives in order to justify being a repo yeah. man, you know, because now he's part of the system, 
but he's still against the system somehow. Yeah. And it gets into this kind of incisive thing about like what even is a punk ethos? When does it make sense? How yeah. does it? Yeah, I, I really liked this movie a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is definitely one of my favorites. Um, I think everyone is really funny in this movie. It's yes. got it's got the weirdest sense of humor, but f- like perfectly works for me. Yeah, totally. Uh, like there's a, a scene towards the end where this like punk character is dying on the floor, and then he's like. reflecting on his life and his last moments to Emilio Estevez and he goes but in the end I blame society society made me this way and it's like oh I just think it's the funniest thing that I totally am like yes (laughs) yeah I loved this movie yeah really really good entertaining uh I always forget the character's name too but he's like the repo man that's like kind of like the the garbage guy like he's always wearing like a garbage uniform kind of um that always has these like philosophies he's telling people about but no one really listens to him the uh, Tracy Walter character yeah Tracy Walter is so funny in this movie yeah uh, Miller is the character uh, yeah name. Miller is um, really great yes uh yeah and boy this guy's in a ton of stuff too uh he's so funny in this movie but yeah he's uh, in the Conan sequel he's in uh, Batman oh yeah yeah lots of stuff uh yeah and then we after that, uh, the same year, he was in a film called Paris, Texas, um, which this is one of the few uh, like roles where he like is the lead. Yeah, this is one of the ones I wanted to make sure we really watched for this because I had never seen it. I'm aware that this is like a well-loved, well-regarded yeah. movie, and I knew it was one of the few times that he is just the upfront star of the movie. Yeah, so we like kind of had to, to yeah. watch this first. And, I, and I, he's I like, wonderful. I liked this movie. I thought it was just beautiful. Yeah. Like, it's a gorgeous movie. Wim Wenders directed this movie it's really really beautiful to look at it's kind of a sad somber tale yeah um that actually gave me a lot of anxiety throughout because the main character travis that harry dean plays is kind of a dangerous man in my opinion or at least we don't know enough about him to know that he's not dangerous like that's kind of the whole thing is we don't know a lot about this character and we ultimately don't know enough about him not to know that he's dangerous and he kind of ends up on almost the run with like a young character yeah, and it so made you're waiting me for nervous something. for that yeah. young character for a lot of the movie. Yeah, cuz you're like uh, is he like able is it to safe? take care of a child? Is it safe for this child yeah. to be with this man? Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, there is something but he's, he's so I feel like this movie's read on Harry Dean is he is such a tender Yeah. person. He seems like such a personable tender. Yeah. That that I think you are I think the casting of Harry Dean is meant to make us more comfortable with mm-hmm. what we're watching in general. Yeah. And it kind of works. Yeah. He yeah, he like barely talks at the beginning. Yeah. And very silent performance yeah. for like what? Like the whole first act. Yeah. Kind of. And there's this really beautiful moment at a diner with his brother who's picked him up and his brother is being like, you know, don't you want to know about your son? Cause like he's been taking care of him while Harry Dean's just been gone for years. Yeah. And as he's like telling him all this, Harry Dean, just like, you see like tears coming down his crying, face. Yeah. Um, and it's, oh man, he's just so good. Like what he evokes without saying anything. Yeah. And then later there's a moment where, He's like staying with his brother and uh, his wife and his son. Yeah. And he is like outside. He takes everyone's shoes and polishes them and like leaves them outside. And the wife is like, oh, you like polished all of her shoes. Like he does these really small like gestures of just like, I appreciate you without really saying anything. And um, I really love that. Yeah. Um, there was a, a quote I have from him too. Um, so Sham, Sam Shepard was one of the writers on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he 
talks about um, them talking about like a role for him potentially. So Harry Dean says, we had a couple of drinks and I told Sam that I was sick of playing heavies and losers and trash. (laughs) I wanted to play something with some love and decency in it. Sam just listened. Two weeks later, Shepard called to offer Harry Dean the first starring role in, uh, of his career in Paris, Texas. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I really love that. Um, And yeah, I mean that it is interesting that like, like I said, it does seem like that's the the thing. It's like, well, we Harry Dean is meant to we're meant to get a tender read off of him, and that makes us as yeah. an audience a little more comfortable with what we're seeing. Yeah, for sure. And and yeah, he's able to make that complexity really work in a way yeah. that like I think other people we'd be like maybe even more worried yeah. about this kid, or we'd be like feel more secure. Yeah. But it towing that line yeah. makes what happens like at the end of the film really work, where you realize what his plan was all right, along. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, really, really good. Definitely check out Paris, Texas. Um, uh, the same year, he was in a film called Uforia, uh, which I've never heard of, but I think that's a hilarious name. Yeah, I would like to see this. Wait, do I know this director's name? John Binder. Why do I think I know your name? Well, maybe I don't. What a weird yeah. Uforia. Uforia. Uh, and then he's in a film called The Bear, which is a biopic about a football coach that stars Gary Busey. And then it closes out uh, 1984 with his role in Red Dawn, which is a movie we both wanted to see, but isn't super available because um, yeah, we we've never to, seen it. Didn't get to catch up with this, and I would like to. I mean, Red Dawn is very yeah. famous, you know. And that's like, you know, actors and directors he's worked with in the past, yeah. too. So it's like kind of interesting. I know. Yeah. I, it's something that I would really, I think it's probably something we'll eventually check out and maybe yeah. bring back up on the show later. I think so. Um, because yeah, this feels like kind of a big hole just in my movie watching in general, yeah. let alone like right here at the end of this yeah. episode. It's a name have, that I always know, yeah. but yeah. But uh yeah, and I mean, yeah, that movie, you know, it got remade a couple of years ago. It mm. definitely had like significant kind of yeah. cultural weight to it. Um but uh yeah, boy, I am very excited to uh do a whole other episode on him because it's like now having watched all these movies. I've seen a ton of Harry Dean movies just before getting to this episode. Yeah. And I now have seen a ton more, you know, for yeah. this half of his career, which was really for exciting sure. and fun to do. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a fascinating guy. I love his presence in, in movies. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, yeah, we're going to close out. We're going to, uh, for our next episode, we will, uh, go from 1985, uh, until his, uh, the end of his life, which I believe he died in 2017. So we'll go up to his career there. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening to Killer Bees. Uh, remember you can find us on social media, uh, all the social medias at Killer Bees podcast, Killer BS podcast. Uh, any, anything else you want to say or plug? Uh, you know, just find us on moviejohn.com. Yeah. Uh, we both write there and have some interesting stuff yeah. that's available Garrett just now. started uh, his new column. Yeah, uh, Big Ideas, Small Budgets. Yep. I wrote about coherence. Um, there might even be another one up by the time this episode comes out. Um, I wrote a bunch of stuff about um, uh, Godzilla and King mm-hmm. Kong for the week of Godzilla versus Kong, um, which will be in the past by the time this episode comes out. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, I'm everywhere on the internet at Philadelphia. I have another podcast called I Like to Movie Movie that you should check out. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, and uh, you can find me, I'm Tori Potenza, on, on the things, most things at least. I'm still not on Twitter. I just use our killer bees yeah, to be on Twitter. Yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for our next episode, and thanks for listening. Buzz. Buzz.